I don't know if anyone's out there. I don't know if anyone's listening. I don't even know if anyone's left. I guess I'll just talk for a while and leave this recording somewhere. Maybe I'll put a note with it. Maybe I'll just listen a few times. It'll be good to hear a voice. Even if it's my own. God. My name is Jen. My parents named me after Genesis, the prologue, not the band. I'm I'm nobody. I'm nothing special. I'm a part-time librarian, part-time pothead. I go to church on Sundays. I tell girls I love whatever books they're reading, even if I've never read it. Because I am utterly incapable of starting conversation in any other way. And now I'm being hunted. It's been ten days since the night came. It happened while we slept. I'm sure there were hectic phone calls between government officials and professional stargazers that night, but the rest of us had no idea. That is, until the sun didn't rise. There was just nothing. No stars, no moon, no sun. Just darkness. Like the big old universe had thrown a blanket over us, all tucked in and ready for bed. (laughs) Turns out, the blanket theory wasn't entirely wrong. Something was out there. Something that blocked out the sky, blocked out the satellites. It's, It's weird. You never really think about how much we rely on little machines floating around our planet until they're gone. It's been a quiet sort of apocalypse. But you know the human race. Apart from the riots, the rest of us were pretty willing to get along with our lives. All of the very important people were on the radios telling us the sun hadn't gone out. Just some extraplanetary interference, is what they called it. Like it was a temporary thing. I bought it, wouldn't you? Not a lot of options to the contrary. Sunscreen went on sale. I went into work last Thursday. And then... They came. I don't really know what they are. I don't think anyone does. Sam used to joke, she'd say, if only they were zombies. I had a plan for zombies. Maybe they are. Or aliens. Whatever they are, the only fact that mattered became clear real fast. They hated one thing more than us. Just one. The light. That's what they said, anyway. The very important people. Over and over. Stay in the light. Stay in the light. Speaking of theories, I can't help but wonder if they're just playing with us. I can't help but wonder if the whole darkness thing was just some plan. Some seriously twisted ingenious plan to drive every terrified human to light up the world. Maybe they wanted the power grids to overload. Maybe they knew it would cause widespread blackouts. Maybe they were pretending. Maybe the light doesn't hurt them at all. Maybe they just wanted to hunt us in the dark. Maybe... Maybe they just wanted us to die afraid. I mean, it's an elegant way for the world to end, I suppose. No meteors or melting ice caps, no warning, nothing unnecessary. Just a flip of some cosmic switch and the lights go out. It's like something reached into our collective subconscious and pulled out the most basic of terrors, that simple dread. Fear of the dark. I don't care what they tell you. You never outgrow it. You just forget about it for a while. Until it's all you know. Until those monsters under the bed come looking for you. Until the lights above your head start to flicker. Speaking of which, I need to keep moving. If you're listening to this, well, I don't really know what else to say. If you were hoping this recording would hold some answers, I'm sorry to say that I don't have any to give. The world is dark, and I am alive. That is all I know. That's the end of things.
That's all there is. Hello and welcome to the Calamity Vault. Each week on this podcast, we're going to play a different indie RPG system. And if you couldn't tell already, this week is going to get a little serious and spooky. We are going to be playing Ten Candles. Ten Candles is a game published by Cavalry Games, and it is a candlelit role-playing game of tragic horror. Now, as you can probably guess from our intro, Ten Candles deals with a lot of very heavy themes like sadness, loss, grief, things like that. If you're not the kind of person that enjoys exploring those themes in your media, maybe this one just isn't for you. If you ever start to feel too uncomfortable or sad, I really encourage you to stop the podcast and maybe wait until we do another system. That is totally okay. This first episode is just going to be a conversation about tone and safety tools that you use in horror games, and then we're going to build our characters so that we can play next session. That all being said, here is Ten Candles. we have to introduce ourselves. So my name is Emily and I am joined by Avery. Don't just wave. <laughs> hey, what do you want from me? This is an audio medium. You have to keep that in the recording though. Okay, yes. So okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say you guys' name and you're gonna say something. It can be high. It can be Whatever, you can personalize it to your heart's content if you want to show a little bit more personality, I suppose. Um, (laughs) People just need to hear your voice and associate it with a name. Uh Okay, so my name is Emily, and I am joined by Avery. Hi, I'm Avery. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. That's an excellent point. Put your pronouns in. <laughs> I mostly I noticed only Z did it last time. I went, oh shit, yeah. we should have done it. Cowards, cowards, all of you. We're, we're getting there. We're, we're we're getting there. Okay, Maggie. Hi, I'm Maggie. My pronouns are she/her. Jack. Hi, I'm Jack. My pronouns are he/him. And Z. Hi, y'all. I'm Z. Pronouns are they/them. Uh, I'm gonna be running the game tonight. First up, Z, can you introduce us a little bit to Ten Candles, the system we're playing today? Yes, I can. Um, so, Ten Candles describes itself uh, not as a survival horror game, but as a tragic horror game. It's a game that is designed and in flavor supposed to be a way for you to explore uh A setting and a story where your character, you know from the start, is going to die. They're going to meet their end. Um, You don't have to run it that way, but that's what the setting prompts you to do. Um, And to, even knowing this, engage with the story, engage with the backdrop of um, the challenges your characters are facing, the horror, the insurmountable odds, and still find hope in what the character does, hope in their actions. And as that hope is tested to see what they'll do when they're pushed to the very edge, to the brink, as the game will call it. Um, It's a mechanics light overall kind of game. Uh, It has a nice sort of ritualistic element to it. Um, You'll see how that plays out once you watch the game. Certain phrases will be repeated. Certain ways of telling the story will come back time and time again. Um... And overall, it's a game about cooperatively telling a story together and exploring what the last days of the characters that we're going to make together uh, look like. By default, the the setup here for Ten Candles is pretty bleak. Um, This is supposed to be last moments. This is supposed to be hope against hope. This is supposed to be the tragedy that you find when everything gives out. Um, You don't have to play it that way. The mechanics certainly support other ways of playing the system, Um, but that's the general aim that this is going for. Um, Anytime that you've run Ten Candles or any or uh, tabletop RPG for that matter, you should have a tone conversation to make sure that that you all know what tone you're going for, that the system supports the tone you're going for, um, and that 
you're all comfortable with pursuing that for your characters and thinking about what that should amount to. Um, but with that, um, and especially given that the system can support other kinds of uh, playing out horror, you don't have to end in tragedy if you decide you don't want to. Um, it would be good to open this up to the table and hear from other people, like what, what tone do you want? Are there any things you don't want? Um, and go from there. Well, I definitely want to play the system as intended, which is to end in tragedy. Yeah. Yeah, I, like, I do think that not ending in tragedy would be kind of swimming against the grain uh, for the system, which is not a phrase that makes sense. Uh... <laughs> it would be in and of itself a tragedy. <laughs> The greatest mm. tragedy of all is not not going with the system. <laughs> that doesn't sound it's, right. <laughs> I'm here to be the guy who goes into the basement because he's like, oh, I left my phone down there. And then something horrible happens. So you're not so. going to be the final girl then? I, Jack, that sounds nope. like you're bringing like, the light starlight energy to this somehow. <laughs> if you're playing another guy... He has to be a full himbo. No more of this, I, like, well, little bastard stuff. See, I, see I, I don't know about that, is the thing. Because, I, for better or worse, the himbo often functions as more of, like, a comedy trope. Mm. That's very true. I'm not sure we're going to find much comedy here. You, you seem to think I can't make your happy comedy character feel really, really horrible by the end. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess that's a question I have, is what... Um, what leeway is there for lightheartedness in this? Because you can, like, in a lot of slasher films, you have comedic moments and characters that are, like, normal people and can be funny. Um, and, you know, they're getting massacred or whatever, but it can still have funny moments. Is that something that is tolerated in this, in the tone that we want to set? I mean, I think personally that that's something that's, like, very human, Right is to be in a terrible, bleak situation and go, you know, maybe this isn't going to end well. Maybe we're not making it out alive. But we can still find something to laugh about. Yeah, I I think while the central tone will be one of tragedy, um, Avery's right, the, the natural human response is to sometimes laugh in the face of fear. I can't speak for how this will run. Um, this is a very improv-heavy system, but given the past... So I've run this two times before. Um, once with one of the, our players we have with us uh, today, with Avery, um, and another time with a group that I, I don't think we have any overlapping members with. Um, and especially the second time that I ran the system, um, I found that there was sort of kind of a, a tone of like, silliness and humor especially in the earlier stages of the game um with that particular group that sort of dropped off by the end quite a bit um and i i think that the the system itself favors kind of letting people fall into more or less like natural ways of playing their characters um natural ways of sort of like hey we're kind of silly and we're with friends and we're being silly with friends um and i think that bleeds in like no matter what you do and i think that's a good thing um I think there's nothing wrong with carrying that through. Um, what what I've kind of seen is that, at least the way that I ran it last time, um, that sort of tone felt like it naturally fell away um, by the end, where there was like still like there were still references and things going on to uh, sillier things or to things that had happened before or like kind of connecting between like a goofy thing someone did in the past and a new thing they're doing now in the present. Um, but I, I did kind of curiously find that it, whether it was the tension of the environment or the exact events that were going on, there, there was like an automatic engagement with the system that included just uh, like, like you said, a very human kind of humor to what's going on. Um, and it sort of faded into another very human thing, which was sort of being very concerned about the situation and not really bringing up the the more humorous moments when serious things were directly in front of you. Um, and I, I don't think that's something we have to do here, but I think that that's a very ordinary kind of progression that this is likely to foster. So we have tone. 
things get heavy in horror games. In all games, they can get heavy, but in horror games in particular, it's important to have a system to allow your players to kind of tap out when they need to. Um, we are going to be using both lines and veils and the X card system in our session today, just so everybody keeps their sanity. Does somebody want to explain what each one of those is? So lines and veils is effectively a preemptive safety tool. Um, what that means is prior to a session, um, or perhaps during a session zero, if you're planning on running something longer, um, everyone goes down typically a list um, that includes a number of very common triggers, common things that could be associated with someone's actual trauma. In horror games, you might want to traumatize the characters, but you don't want to traumatize the players. That That's not what we want. We want to avoid that. Uh, lines and veils help you dictate which themes are supposed to show up or not supposed to show up. A veil is something that should not appear on screen um, in an explicit or drawn out way. Players can be more specific about what that means. Um, so it might be that a player is okay with something being symbolized, but they might not be okay with it being described explicitly or in detail. Um, the These can include all sorts of things. I think uh, a pretty standard list might include things like alcoholism, drug abuse, sexual violence, sexual content generally. Um, it could include things like suicide. Um, there are many easy uh, to find lists of lines and veils, very common ones. Um, players should always be given the option to add their own. A line, on the other hand, is more than that. That means that the theme should not show up at all. So if something has been uh, made a line by a player, or by the person running the game, that will not come up, not symbolically, not off-screen, not on-screen. Um, that's something that somebody has said should not be present in the game. It's not part of your world. It's not part of what's going to be in your story. This is a good way for players to make sure certain things aren't appearing. It's a good way for people running the games to make sure certain things aren't appearing. Um, oftentimes, lines and veils are provided by players and or the uh, person running the game anonymously um, so that they don't have to sort of put their name forward along with whatever it is that's trying to be avoided. Um, there's less pressure. It's easier for people to add things into a list that way. Um, if you are playing with friends, uh, there's a good chance you might want to be more clear, or more specific, or talk through some of these things. Uh, but the, the sort of long and the short of it is if someone says something is a line, there's no further question about it. That's not showing up in your game. If something is a veil, it's not something that's showing up extendedly or on screen. And if there are details that your player wants to discuss or develop, they can do that or they can uh, specify specific scenarios um, that they want to avoid or avoid seeing on screen. Take very seriously what is listed as a line, what's listed as a veil. Um, these are ways to keep players from being traumatized by what you're doing in your game or having to re-experience something that is very serious um, and very unpleasant to them. So it's a good preemptive tool. On the other hand, X cards. Um, an X card is pretty simple, I think. Um, an X card means when something is happening that a player or the person running the game, uh, if something's happening that they don't want to be happening or that they realize they're very uncomfortable with or even uncomfortable at all with, they can play an X card. In person, this often looks like a literal card that is put down in the middle of the table or something that's already there that someone touches. Um, that means that whatever's happening in the scene stops. Um, you full stop whatever's going on. Depending on your table and what you've discussed with them, that could mean you simply skip the rest of that scene. More often, what it means is you pause where you're at, you take a check-in out of game, and you make sure uh, that whatever's happening doesn't continue as it is. You talk with uh, the player and the other players about what you want to do with the scene. That could include revoking some of what's already happened and sort of rewriting a little bit of what's going on in your world, what's going on with the characters, with the players, and anything else. Uh, it could mean that you're fine with what's gone on so far, but you don't want to continue with the content in any further detail or in any uh, explicit or clear or drawn out way. Um, it could mean you simply end the scene, and that's that's all that needs to be said or done. Um, but a next card means a conversation of some kind needs to quickly happen. The scene needs to stop where it's at and figure out from there what you want to do. I, th I think that's the long and the short of it. Um, both of these are tools. Uh, lines and veils are something that stops things before they happen. Uh, X cards are things that stop things when they, uh, especially unexpectedly, 
strike someone the wrong way or turn uncomfortable. Um, and you need something on both ends, I think, to make sure a game is safe. And there are a lot of other tools out there that perform these same functions. This is These are the ones that I've seen the most often. Um, when Maggie and I went to a panel about horror at Gen Con, I think one of the Ten Candles writers was there, and she talked about if you're GMing with strangers and you maybe don't have a lines or veils sheet that you can give them ahead of time, maybe it's just a spontaneous thing. You give like a traffic light system where you have three things in front of you that you can touch. One is like all good. One is yellow, maybe slow down or let's ease up off this topic or red, which is basically an X card. Um, and you can do that to prevent people from being shy about like slamming an X card on the table in front of everybody else. It can be just like a a little subtle way of calming things down a bit. Yeah, it's, it's really just a nice way to systematize like what you can otherwise accomplish by going like, you know, hey guys, I am uncomfortable with where this is going. Uh, or, like, I don't want to see any more of this. And lines and veils should always be available to be updated because um, a lot of us don't realize that something is a line or a veil until we encounter it in a game. And that's super fun. Um, but then it should be added to a sheet so it doesn't happen in the future. And so it can always be a learning experience. If you're be if you're a game master or a player and you're paying attention to whether other people feel uncomfortable, you shouldn't feel bad if you accidentally stumble on something that becomes a line or veil. Um, just be supportive for everybody that you're playing to, with. To second that, whether you're a game master or you're a player, always double check the lines and veil sheet because yes, like the game master is maybe most responsible in some sense. But players can also walk right into things, um, and you should be aware of what the lines and veils are for the table at any given time. Um, so, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to take a lot of effort. It can be just, like, before a session that's coming up. Just double-check the lines and veils chart and be like, oh, okay, there's a new thing on there I didn't see there before. Probably won't come up, but I'm not going to push for that to come up now. Like, I know better. Um, be aware. Um, game masters, obviously, are... Like you're you're super on the hook. <laughs> Pay attention, um, but also players too. Don't think that just because you're a player, like it's only on your GM to deal with things and corral things. It's also on you to you know make sure that you're aware of what's going on on the table and that you are not pressuring other players into a place that they're uncomfortable. It's mostly just a way of making sure that a situation which is supposed to be a fun and recreational activity for everyone remains that way for everybody. Okay, serious talk over. Let's get to the apocalypse. Maybe you want to tell us a little bit more about Ten Candles? Talk us through character creation. I'd love to tell you more about Ten Candles. So what what we're about to do is embark upon character creation. Um, Ten Candles by design is, uh, it, well, it's a one-shot system, uh, really. I'm sure you could do something to try to change that, but really that's not in the spirit. The system is meant to be played in one sitting in generally i think about a total of four to five ish hours um starting with making our characters from scratch so the the way the game will run once we've made characters and once we're getting into the story a little bit um is i'm going to give a module which is just a very short little bit that i've prepared 10 candles explicitly tells you do not prep um this is an improv centric game an improv heavy game and at least my my job is running this is to give you a little bit of a setting, give you a direction, give you some idea of what's going on in the world around you, and then let you dive into it as fellow narrators, effectively. Um, during the game, I will call for conflicts. In this game, we don't roll for success or failures. Um, in this game, instead, we roll for narrative control. You'll roll as many dice as there are candles. Um, at least to start off each scene. If you roll a single six, even one of them, your roll succeeds. But a success here doesn't mean you simply did the thing you said you were going to do. A success means you have narrative control. Well, that means if you were opening a door, perhaps even an unlocked door, one that took no real effort, narrative control means you say what's on the other side of that door. That's your responsibility now. Uh, if you fail that roll, which means you didn't roll a single six, the scene ends. What happens when a scene ends is we take one candle, uh, we blow the candle out, and 
we go into a second kind of gameplay. Uh, this is the establishing truths phase. Um, as you'll hear repeatedly uh, once we get going, whenever we establish truths, the person running the game will have a phrase they have to say, followed by the truths. I'll say, these things are true, the world is dark. Each player then, in order, and we, we have a predefined order here, um, will go through and offer up a new truth. Those truths could be things as simple as, I found a flashlight. Another person can establish a truth. We found several other survivors. Another person could establish a truth. Um, these survivors have uh, several flashlights. Another person can establish a truth. And they're all running out of batteries. Players can establish truths in their favor. They can establish truths in uh, favor of increasing the intensity of the setting. These are all things open and on offer to the game. At the start of an establishing truths phase, I'll say the, the standard, these things are true, the world is dark. And then we'll go around and people will add truths and we'll affirm that these things are true. And at the end, these things are true, the world is dark, and we are alive. Um, that's slightly different from what the book says to do, but <laughs> I like it, so that's what we're going to do. <laughs> We are making a couple changes from what the book says to do, and we can discuss these more at the end of the game. We'll talk about them later. The it's nature, fine. The nature of RPGs is that they are more like guidelines than rules. Uh-huh. I, the, yeah. thing about, the thing about any RPG is that, like, if a rule doesn't work for you at your table, simply change it. <laughs> there are no rules, only choices. We begin the game by creating characters, a thing you'll need to actually play the game. Um, so to create characters, we have to talk about what the book calls how you are formed. Um, to start this step, we're going to light three candles. Um, so just for reference for those listening merely to audio here, uh, in keeping with the flavor of the game and also what the book uh, requests of you is... You should try to be playing in a pretty dark space, ideally a space lit only by candlelight. We are playing virtually and online, so uh, this involves you know darkening our own environments, having candles available. Uh, since I'm running the game, I do in fact have 10 candles in front of me that everyone else can see, which I just think is fun. Uh, and we'll be using those as both props, but also mechanically to blow out and figure out what our dice pool looks like as we go through the game. So... I'm going to go ahead and light three candles real quick. Anyone else who wants to light candles can do so. Uh, I can finally see. <laughs> I'm not in the void anymore. <laughs> the first thing that we're going to do is create traits. In this game, traits come in two forms, virtues and vices. We're going to each create one of, one of each, and we're going to give them to other players. <laughs> um, now, what I want you to do is write a virtue. In the context of this game, what a virtue means is not necessarily something like uh, the classic virtues of, say, humility or beneficence or something like that. A virtue is just a quality that you think is more likely to help a character than hurt them. You're going to eventually pass these, if it matters to you, to your right. Which, since we're online, that means that Avery will be sending a virtue to Emily... Emily will be sending a virtue to Jack. Jack will be sending a virtue to Maggie. Maggie will be sending a virtue to Avery. Virtues are things you are open, you are free to talk about. If you want to ask the person who you're about to give a virtue to, hey, are you cool with this? That's something that you can just do. Um, don't. There's no need to be totally silent or private about this. You can have discussions about virtues if you want to. See, now I want to go with the classical virtues since you mentioned them. Like, I want to give Maggie chaste. <laughs> <laughs> Is that going to solve problems, do you think? I mean... Is that really I, more likely to benefit you than harm you? <laughs> I could be holy and vanquish the monsters. I, see, actually, I was considering sending Emily Merciful, uh, but <laughs> I'm not sure if that I will actually solve problems. Well, if it's any help, I can give you... The game does give us some examples that it's it kind of runs with. Um, so maybe I'll read a few of those off just to give some other pictures than what I said. Um, in fact, Merciful is on the list. 
Uh, lucky, resourceful, watchful, committed, handsome, subtle, strong, hardy, streetwise. All of those could be different kinds of virtues. And I think the list is much broader than what is provided in the system's own examples. Thirsty. <laughs> <laughs> Serving. <laughs> mm. I'm down with that one. Would that I be could be awarded serving. <laughs> could do so much with that. I was thinking of faithful. Mm. Like a person oh. that has faith. Um, well, they're kind of on the interpretation. Yeah, that's, that, that, yeah. that is loose enough that it can be interpreted either way. Yeah. Much that's like great. serving. Or loyal. Yeah. One, one very nice thing about the virtues uh, that I think you should bear in mind is they should be vague enough or... They, they, they should be unspecific enough that they could apply to many kinds of situations. Um, mechanically, what these are going to do for you is when you roll your pool of d6s, if you roll any ones, you can burn your virtue or vice, or we'll talk more about other cards that come up. You can burn your trait cards to uh, re-roll all of your ones. Normally, whenever you rolled your dice, sixes are successes, Ones are removed from your dice pool until the end of the scene. Mm. So if you start the game and the first scene you roll all ten dice and you roll, say, three ones in there, even if you succeed, you will not have those dice anymore. So now your dice pool is down to seven for the next person who has to roll. And if you roll more ones, those also go away. If you choose to re-roll them, you'll re-roll the dice, uh, the ones, see what you get. If you get a six, that could change a... Uh, a failure, which means GM has narrative control, to a success, which means you have narrative control, and the scene does not end then. Um, even if you're succeeding, you might not want to lose dice, you might want a scene to continue on longer. Uh, Rerolling is a way to do that. All that's required for a reroll is that uh, whichever one is currently active has to be used in some way to contribute to the scene, in some way influencing how you interact with the situation to do whatever it is that you narrate that you're doing. Um, after that, the as written, the rules say you will burn that trait, which means you take the piece of paper or the card that it's written on, you set it on fire in a fire-safe bowl, and you burn it up. Um, if you do not have a fire-safe environment, uh, don't do that. Um, a, a very ordinary kind of solution is you can rip the card up instead into little pieces, but you know it's kind of it's kind of fun if you set. See, them on I am fire. going to set these on fire and then drop them into my prepared bowl of water. Yes. Oh, that's a good idea. That is. Uh, and I said, Emily, I think I am not sending you merciful. I'm sending you tranquil. Oh. Ooh. 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 I like that tranquil. Okay. Um, Jack, are you okay with faithful? Yeah. Um, give me anything like you that. want. Yeah, I'm gonna give Jack faithful. Okay, Maggie. I'm going to give you Ruthless. Ruthless. I like that. I think, Avery, I'm going to give you Courageous. Okay. Okay, with our virtues assigned, now we go the opposite direction, and we assign our vices. That should be a quality that you think, in general, will harm, hinder, or limit someone. It can be used in the game in the exact same way that virtues can mechanically, which is you can burn your vice in order to re-roll the ones that you've rolled. But overall, a vice should be something that is to somebody's detriment or limits their chances of success in other contexts. Some of the examples that the book gives for vices are afraid, greedy, regretful, addicted, controlling, worrisome, claustrophobic, rash, Naive, compulsive. So, uh, we're going in the exact opposite direction, so just to reiterate that, uh, Avery, you are giving advice to Maggie. Maggie, you are giving advice to Jack. Jack, you're giving advice to Emily. Emily, you're giving advice to Avery. Avery, your virtue is courageous. Mm -hmm. I think if it's all right with you, I'm going to assign you impatience. Oh, I'm fine with that. Jack... I think I'm going to give you the vice of unlucky. Ooh, that's good. 
feel like Jack is going to make me really sad about his character. <laughs> Good. That's what I'm here for. No. Maggie, I think I'm giving you arrogant. Arrogant. Oh, that goes really well with Ruthless. Emily. Lay it on me, honey. I'm so torn. You can discuss your you options with the table. the table. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm thinking like cold. Ooh. Like distant? Or like uncaring. Distant? Oh, I like distant. I don't... You don't like it? I don't think I can do that. Okay. And it would hurt me. It would hurt me feelings to do it. Yes, I know. <laughs> so I prefer not to. Me feelings. Me feelings. These are the things to talk about. Me feelings. I don't think I can play a character at the end of the world watching other people suffer and be uh, dispassionate or cold. (laughs) Is impotent better? (laughs) (laughs) Um, sure. Let's do that then. I feel like impotence is a factor of other people. Not necessarily. I, I no. If you can't get it up, that's on I you. I mean, if it's just that I can't get it up, then that's fine. You're free to interpret it as you wish. I'm more meant like in a, um, an an unable to prevent things. You you could have said powerless, but you chose to say impotent. You did choose to say impotent. <laughs> I did choose that. Well, I'll let you select from the interpretations. Okay, low sperm count. Okay. <laughs> I, I now really hope that the context in which it comes up is you not being able to get it up in, a cre- in an important situation. <laughs> if there is a situation I... at the end of the world that calls for getting it up. Um... Dramat- dramatically changes the tone of this, this horror one shot. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I suspect this won't come up. Um, just Neither will speaking I. from my perspective and given things we've established. So, yeah. um, but to, to sort of go over everyone in review, uh, Avery's character will be courageous and impatient. Emily's will be tranquil and impotent. Jack's will be faithful and unlucky. Maggie's will be ruthless and arrogant. Um, notably, these are things that you can choose to play into your characters as much or as little as you like throughout the game. Um, the only strict sort of mechanical-ish, story-ish requirement is that whenever you decide to use to burn either your virtue or your vice, then you must weave that quality into whatever it is that you are doing. So now we've got to read our module. Um, Ten Candles itself provides some suggested modules, uh, I have a module that we'll be using uh, to today, and it just sort of sets the scene, sets the setting before we try to develop the quali- like the exact details of who our characters are, who they're supposed to be. A month ago, the sun and the moon stopped rising. Not long after, the rest of the stars blinked out. And then they came. Alice and Corey were the first to go missing. Joe next, then Belle. We realized pretty quick that straying far, far, too far even into the dark, well, it wasn't wise. Power company doesn't provide electricity out here anymore. It's up to us to make our own light. We don't know what they are. We do know They fear the light. Now, some folks just sit and wait for the generators to die or food to run out. Some, including us, including you, set out. If you can get to the bottom of this, bring back more food, maybe find enough fuel to keep the generators running long enough to outlast whatever this dark spell is, well... Maybe there's hope in that. Right now, all of you have gathered in the small town of Sulphur. Coming together around where 
come around the entrance to the school. You're looking to pick up the keys. One of these school buses here. Drive them off. Take a few people out of town, maybe drop people off who are wanting to get away, who don't have a good source of light. Maybe bring back some supplies. This particular bus depot and schoolyard are all kind of crunched together, right next to the gymnasium where a lot of folks are kind of hiding out now. People who didn't have their own private generators whenever everything went out. People who couldn't keep the lights going when the power companies cut them off. The town and you know that this only lasts so long. There's only so much fuel to go around, and there's only so much food. Someone's got to set out. Someone's got to find help, or someone's got to find food, or someone's got to find fuel. It's your job to set off from here. And it's your hope that you can bring something back to people of Sulphur. You can make this work out. You can outlast this. That's the module. And now we create our concepts. Your concept is going to be a card that you don't shuffle in with the rest. It's going to be a card that you keep for yourself as a reference. And what I need from you at minimum are three things. Number one, I need you to figure out what, what you're called. What's your name? What are you called? Um, if you would like, your character can also share their pronouns. What's your look? If someone kind of flashes eyes over in your direction and gives you a good look up and down, what do you look like at a quick glance? And finally, in a few words, who are you? What are you? Um, this could be uh, taken under different interpretations. This could be about what kind of job did you do before everything went dark? It could be what kind of a person you think you are. In addition to the virtue and vice you've already received, what are you like as a person? And is this all going on one card or three separate cards? This all goes on one card. This is just okay. to be a reference for you as the game goes on. This is purely for you to help guide yourself in terms of role-playing a cohesive, consistent kind of character. Is it too much to make a childless woman be a bitch? Why would that be too much? Ah. Maggie, I support women's wrongs. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Okay, okay, okay. I mean, Maggie, you are a childless woman. And a bitch. <laughs> and a bitch. I, I would wink. I, the character concept I and have... And a bitch, parenthesis, affectionate. <laughs> I mean, as the long as she isn't a bitch because she's childless. No. Yes, like, well, the character I have in mind is someone who's, like, middle-aged, never married, never had any children, um, prefers to be much more independent, um, and now, like, will continue to perceive herself as independent even as she works in a group. Perfect. She just sounds cool. Okay. That's fun. I See, I think I am... Going with a very different vibe on this, in that I think I'm bringing a teen. Ooh, oh, same. no. Like, I think That's I'm tragic. Like, like a high school senior ish, like. Oh, no. Student and softball player who is bringing her bat with her. Uh, oh. And, like, you know, she's not doing college apps now it's no fucking point I'm gonna be heartbroken by all of these characters oh baby that's the point ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good with bad feelings oh, you no. picked well, the wrong game I, we're Emily, playing the bad feelings so, game <laughs> so Emily the good, in addition to our post game wrap up conversation we are also just gonna take the time to decompress that's yeah. nice. I like that yeah. We will. Aftercare. I will. I, I don't know that this is a thing for the recording or not, but I will say a thing the rulebook explicitly encourages is 
especially like if things get too much during the game but especially when you're done with the game if you know if all went very well and things hit really hard then at the end of the game you just like you turn the lights back on you cool down for a second you have some conversations and it's good but like if at any point the lights need to come on and you know we need to you know break out of this environment we're putting ourselves in that's totally fine so okay I do love the concept of RPG Aftercare, though. RPG Aftercare is very good and should be done often it's important. and regularly. Um, especially when bad things are going to happen. Yes. Yeah, I am a um, kindergarten art teacher. Oh, oh. my God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Man, I'm kind of glad I'm playing the bitch now. Y'all are going to make these really nice characters. <laughs> I need something to balance this out. <laughs> I'm not a team, though. That's going to be hard. Like, it's going to be like, tough. I'm, I'm, I'm Emily, I'm sorry that we wanted to deal with themes about like lost futures. <laughs> I wanted to try and bring a hopeful character into a hopeless situation. Uh-huh. I love it. As is traditional. As is tradition. Okay. Does everyone feel pretty comfortable with their concept? That means your basic idea of what you look like, your name, your look, things like that. Yeah. Okay, great. I'm going to come back to this when we start and ask you about those things. Um, but I, I think I want to save that for when we kind of kick off as a introduction to the characters. And it's time we talk about moments. So, Ooh. step four of creating our characters so we need to light three more candles and we need to plan our moments what a moment is is something that you get to define for yourself based on your however much you want it to be based on your virtues or vices or on your concept for who this character is it should detail or at least suggest some kind of personal scene or event something that is important to your character to achieve during the session Ideally, this is something that would give your character the opportunity to find uh, or to feel a sense of hope, a sense of making it through. The way that a moment is written is you will start with the phrase, I will find hope, and then you add something beyond that. Uh, some of the suggestions are things like, I will find hope in a moment of prayer at a quiet church, when one of them lies dead at my feet. When the truth of the sky is revealed to me. When I find my sister. Your moment may or may not be something that you reach, but your goal in some sense as a character, your personal motivation in many ways, is to reach this goal. Um, you want to come to find your moment. Mechanically, uh, when you come to your moment, you'll make a dice roll in that scene like any other. If you fail that roll uh, by not rolling any sixes and with any rerolls, still not rolling any sixes, your moment will come to an end um, and your character will lose hope as the moment is lost. However, if you succeed when you roll your moment, and when you do, you are able to use your moment card that you are currently creating to reroll your ones, should you roll any. If you live your moment, then you'll still burn the card but you will gain a hope die for the rest of the game. As your character finds in this moment a sense of hope, a sense of purpose, a sense of place, a sense of success, and carries that through with them through the rest of the game. A hope die is essentially an additional uh, d6 that you roll on any further rolls. It's something that succeeds on either a 5 or a 6, unlike the rest of your dice. Hmm. Um, and is a way for your character to exert further narrative control. Once you have gained a hope die, if you do, the only way to lose it is when you fail a brink roll. I'll get to what that means in a little bit when we talk about brinks. Uh, so this is this is something that is potentially uh, very much set up to fail more likely than uh, to succeed. I think there is someone that I'm trying to get a call through to. As Avery points out, these are more likely to fail or equally likely to fail, depending on when they come up in the game compared to other things. 
So whatever you do suggest for your moment, you should be prepared for it not to work out very well. Um, that could mean simply failing, or it could mean something much worse. So whatever you put forward, bear in mind that some unpleasant twist on it could be what's actually happening. I think that my moment is I find hope when I protect a life more valuable than my own. Oh, damn it, Jack. Uh, oh. I knew he was going to make us sad. <laughs> I haven't even told you what my character is. No, you haven't even said the concept. I know he's a sad boy. Oh, uh-huh. damn. <laughs> I think what I'm going to go with is... Um, and you can tell me if I need to fix this a little bit. I will find hope when I figure out a way to kill these things. And I am going with, I will find hope when I save a child from a terrible fate. I wrote that before I knew that they could go very wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Alas. I'm so pleased. It should be said that my guidance is, in general, I'm not trying to, like, run a really difficult like crawler or anything like that i'm not trying to kill you before the story goes on i want to tell a story um and my directive is to develop a story that very likely is not going to kill you until the end and then it will um you do have the option throughout to sacrifice yourself for pretty clear gameplay reasons i would encourage you don't do that lightly um I can call for uh, dire conflicts that mean that there's a very serious risk to your character. Perhaps that could even include death. Um, but in general, my, my goal and my sort of aim is not to see your characters killed off, except insofar as that is a narrative or very satisfying kind of uh, decision, especially for you to make, not just for me. For step five, we need to light three more candles. And as our next three candles are lit, bringing us to nine, it's time for us to discover our brinks. We should all have some idea of the characters at their table, their virtues, their vices, what their plans, their direction are. We have an idea of what they hope for. But for this last piece, well, not quite last, but close to last piece of character creation, Every player, and the GM in this case, should have one last thing to write down, perhaps one last card, if you were in person, and you need to create your brinks. Now, you're going to give this brink to someone else. What a brink should describe is what a character is capable of. You're not representing or describing a character as they currently are or as they normally act. A brink is supposed to be a hidden trait which you do not share with the rest of the table, um, except for your GM, Um, and even that's not totally necessary in this specific case. Um, This is just a quality that you, as a player to another player, and as a character to another character, know about that character. Um, When everything else has burned away, when our virtues, our vices, our moments are all gone, a character's brink, as the game describes, is their last dark refuge. You can embrace your brink, you can reject your brink, but this is the moment where hope is fading and where each player has to decide if they will let their character fall into the brink and take hold of it, or if they'll run away from it as the shadows grow darker. Notably, if you embrace your brink, you re-roll the whole dice pool. Yes. In general, a brink has two forms it can take. One is basically a short word. One is a short phrase. Whatever it is should start with a phrase very much like, I have seen you. Some of the examples include, I have seen you kill. I have seen you lie. I have seen you cry. I have seen you run. I have seen you fight. I have seen you promise. If you go with a one-word phrase, you'll want to add a little bit more explanation to this. Um, Some of the explanations uh, that this could be or some of the phrases that you could go with are as follows. And these are from the book. 
I have seen you destroy what you care about most. I saw you on trial before the world went dark. Three dead. Your family. You monster. I have seen you break down. While we were on the run. You lost it over this dead dog. You cried for hours. I almost left you behind. I have seen you worship them. You didn't see me, but I saw you. Whispering prayers for them to spare your life. I saw them give you something. But couldn't make out what it was. All of those could be brinks. These are things that will come up when your characters are at the end of their rope, when things have gotten quite bad in the game. Um, but there are also things that you have seen, at least in some semblance, come up in your characters' histories with each other. In the context of this module, you are all effectively from the same place. You all could have seen each other doing different things in different contexts within this town. It's up to you to decide what that is. Now, your brinks are going to be passed to the left. So that means, Avery, you're giving a brink to Maggie. Maggie, you're giving one to Jack. Emily, you're giving one to Avery. Jack, you have a weird situation. Oh? Because you're giving me a brink. Ah. Um, yes. You get to say something about them, and you're the only player who gets to do this. There are some additional restrictions on you. When you assign a brink to them, you should write, I have seen them. And this isn't something that they do in desperation. This is just something that they are capable of. This is something that they do. This is something that is a threat. You can take that very loosely if you want. You can take it very directly if you want. Um, what you cannot do is define a weakness or a vulnerability. Whatever you have seen them do is a danger, a strength, a threat, a power. Um, some examples of them brinks. Um, I have seen them move like shadows. I have seen them shapeshift in front of me. Howl at the pale moon. Consume the dead. I, I possess think I the know. living. I think like I know that. what I'm what I'm good. Okay. And I believe Z is uh, Z is giving Emily her brink, which yes. means that the them have seen. Oh no. And that. And yes, I get to give a brink to Emily's character um, because they have seen you do something. Ooh. So brinks, like other things, allow you to re-roll ones. Um, the difference is you re-roll your whole pool. That's that's true. Sorry. Um, let me correct that. They let they let you re-roll. Um, the thing with a brink, however, is that um, if you re-roll and it succeeds, you can do it again and again and again and again. Brinks don't go away just because you use them, as long as you succeed. Um, if it fails, then uh, it will go away along with any hope dice that you have, that you might have gotten from living your moment. What I need you to do next, um, before we proceed any further, is step six, I believe, of our process. Which is, I need you to take your brink, I need you to put it basically as a base, and then you need to take your traits, so that's your virtue, your vice, and then also your moment. I need you to put them in whatever order you please on top of your brink. Now, in general, I encourage players not to put their moment right on top. In general, a moment is something you build to, that you direct yourself on, a goal that you're accomplishing probably later in the scenes. The pile effectively represents which traits are most active at a given time. So if your virtue is on top, so say, for example, if Avery put courageous on top of the pile, that would mean that that is their character's active trait. That is the only card that can be used to reroll. You can't use other ones until that one has been burned up. If you had put your moment there, you'd have to wait until your moment was achieved. If you put your vice there, you have to wait until a scene where you think you can use your vice. Virtues and vices are the more flexible things. Moments tend to be a little bit more concrete. There's a thing you're trying to achieve and don't come up quite as readily. But you can put it wherever you want in the stack, as long as the brink is at the very bottom. With our stacks arranged, um, the very last step of character creation is your inventory which asks you to consult what is in your pockets right now. 
that is what you start with as a character. Uh, us as uh, people? Just to be clear, not what it, our, my physical pockets? <laughs> yeah. Like our physical pockets? Yeah, you. I, I got nothing but Hoover flags over here, man. <laughs> Z, it's 8 p.m. I'm in my PJs. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, you don't. That's right. You don't have shit. <laughs> I, I have a pixel. This is the general vibe. Uh, the explicit instructions are: check your pockets. That's <laughs> if hilarious. If there's something in there, you have it. If you don't have anything in there, you don't have it. Holy shit. Um, which is, I think, very entertaining and very silly. Technically, my snack, my snack is on my lap. Do I have that? Yes. <laughs> I decided. Um, huh. In that case, I have half a pretzel as well. Do you have half a pretzel in your pockets, Jack? In my lap. Z just made a ruling, Avery. I, I have some pirouettes. God damn it. I like to imagine they're all in your character's pocket, though, which is a different predicament. Loose yeah. food. <laughs> okay. With that, we light our tenth candle. And... The game proper begins. Ah, I know I'm cutting you off right at the good part, but, cool guys, I know I'm biased, but the session is so good. Zine does a wonderful job. Everybody is uh, horribly tragic and sad. I cried by the end of it. It was beautiful. Tune in next week to catch our actual play of Ten Candles. I think our session is long enough that I'm going to split it into two parts, but who knows? If you liked our show, why not give us a little rate and review on whatever podcast service you're using? You can also follow us on Twitter at Calamity Vault, where we will post updates, art of our characters, links to the game system so you can purchase them and support independent creators, all the fun stuff. 